It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Card Weekend Ownership Preview, Ownership Discussion. We're going to be going through all of it here for you for Saturday's slate, for Sunday's slate. We're going to avoid that Monday night game again. Uh, first Monday night game, playoff history. That'll be its own thing for showdowns coming up. But we got you guys covered here for the Saturday and Sunday slate. And I've got the guy who's going to be doing it with me. Uh, no law fee today, but even better. We have the tuna man himself. We've got the four loco king. It's Matt Kachet. <laughs> Kajewski, I don't know, I'm making myself laugh. It's weird. I'm so tired right now. I'm so tired, but I know that you're going to pull up my energy, right, Matt? Yeah, man, I've been slamming coffee all morning. Got an extra cup here. I'm really excited for these games. The only thing I'm disappointed with is we got Pittsburgh in the playoffs instead of LA, so it kind of turns down the excitement factor a little bit, but overall, we should have some really good football this weekend that I'm really excited for. Me too. I think that this is going to be a fun, fun weekend of football. I always feel like after a week 18 where half the games matter, half of them don't. Uh, we, we, we left on a high note, actually. That Thai Raiders perspective Chargers madness that was going on, I thought was really interesting to watch. I thought it made for great television, great drama. I think that that gives us a nice prequel into these games that obviously all matter. So smash that like button, subscribe button, notification bell as we get going. We're presented by Prize Bits today, like we normally are here on the NFL Ownership Show. But... We're going to add quarterbacks to the fray here today. And I think that this is going to be an important part of this discussion is figuring out which stacks we want to be going to. Uh, Sunday is a three-game slate. Starting with Saturday, though, it's a two-gamer with two really, really studly quarterbacks at the top end here in Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. Then you've got this other tier of Derek Carr and Mac Jones. And I say we just jump right into it. No small talk here for, for you and me. I want to give the people some goodness. So let's get to it. Between those two quarterbacks on the top end, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, these teams both throw a lot. Now, you have Joe Mixon, somebody that can definitely kill the game script in some kind of capacity, 7,100 there for him. Same thing can be said probably about Josh Jacobs there uh, on the other side of that game, 6,600. But Josh Allen going up against New England, this has kind of been a theme here. Round three, round three, as long as the weather looks good, which it, right now at the moment does, Josh Allen would be my favorite quarterback, bar none. How about for yourself? 
I think it's pretty close between Burrow and Allen for different reasons. You have a much better total, much better matchup for Burrow. He's also a lot more expensive to stack unless you just punt down with Uzoma or Tyler Boyd. Whereas Josh Allen, the matchup's not quite as good. The game is projected to be slower. Buffalo is at home, but we have a very cold environment. And New England's just a better defense. But with Allen, you also have much cheaper stacks. You can use guys like Emmanuel Sanders if he's healthy, Cole Beasley, Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox. And then Allen gives you that added bonus of what he can do on the ground. So I view Allen as a little bit safer. If I'm looking for upside, I honestly think it's pretty equal between both these players. So maybe for like cash on Wednesday, the day we have right now, I would lean Allen tentatively if you're playing those low risk tournaments, but you, I don't really think you can go wrong with either of these guys. Yeah. It's hard to really go back and forth on, on which one. Hey, I prefer this. I will say the one thing about Joe Burrow is if you're stacking him up, you still have to get the pieces right around him. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, a number of that. Josh Allen, I guess, same exact thing. Uh, but I feel like with Stefan Diggs' existence, if they're both going to spike massive upsides, they're probably going to be doing it together. I feel pretty confident in saying that. Looking at Cole Beasley, he's somebody that I just can't believe the, the current roster ship we have on him. We will get to that, of course. And we're basically going game by game when we're breaking this down because you know, talking about the Saturday slate with Vegas and Cincinnati and then New England and Buffalo. I, I don't think anybody would dispute that New England's better defense than Vegas is here in this spot. Uh, PFF agrees with that sixth ranked defense here. Uh, if it weren't for some late season struggles here for the Patriots D in spots, I think that that would be even better. They had been first, second, third, pretty much the entire season, but currently sixth in the power rank at PFF. Um, I, I really think also Josh Allen just brings some stuff with his legs too. And Joe Burrow's probably going to take the pass catchers along with him. So it's going to be a really, really close decision point between the two of them. Josh Allen is $600 more. Maybe that money can go to good use, but let's jump on over to the bottom end. Derek Carr, Mac Jones. We've got one third of the ownership going towards Mac Jones. And part of that is the air has been taken out of the football in a lot of these spots, but he's still attempted over 30 passes in his last four games here coming down to the end of the regular season. That's a little bit higher than what I think most people would expect out of him. And, you know, Derek Carr coming off of a, a really strong finishing uh, performance there. Didn't go for a ton of yardage, 186 yards, but the two touchdowns got it done there for the Vegas Raiders to jump into the playoffs, eliminate the Chargers. I find it surprising, though, that he's getting literally three times more ownership than Mac Jones. How about you? I don't find it too surprising. Cross-referencing our projections, Derek Carr is easily the best price-adjusted quarterback on the slate. And again, it's Wednesday. This could change. We'll see how these totals, spreads, all that works out. But right now, Derek Carr is the best from a price-adjusted perspective on DraftKings. It's just a matter of pricing is not really that tight. So when I optimize lineups, a lot of times it was just jamming in the raw points for Josh Allen or Joe Burrow because salary is not really too prohibitive here. With that said, if you do go down to Derek Carr, it doesn't appear like you're giving up too much. Whereas with Mac Jones, when New England's playing their best football, they're running the ball, they're playing slowly, and they're not using him. And you mentioned the attempts are really good for Mac Jones. It's just most of them are coming around the line of scrimmage or right around the first down marker. You're not pushing the ball down the field too much with Mac Jones. And a lot of that's the product of just the poor receiving core he has. You have Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, and then a bunch of guys that are basically practice squad caliber players. So I do think the upside is limited with Mac Jones. He's not mobile. If I'm not mistaken, he is just 200 two 300 yard passing games on the season. So the upside isn't reached all that frequently. If I'm punting, I would much rather do it with Derek Carr who has the attempts 
a much better game environment based on the total. But with that said, these are two very risky options. Yeah, I, I think with the clear-cut Burrow, Allen, I mean, we we have the wide receivers. Jamar Chase is really the expensive guy to go up and get here on this slate from the wide receiver position, Joe Mixon, 7,100 the expensive guy in the running back position. So I think that salary kind of dictates whether or not you need to go down to the bottom. I don't think we need to be going too far down into the bottom here on Saturday slate might find myself just kind of in an overweight approach between Allen and, and Burrow that kind of makes the most sense to me, uh, especially just looking at what that upside could look like in the stacks here, really kind of looking forward to this slate though, because for Saturday for just a two gamer, there is some nuances to kind of be picking and choosing between there, but yeah, Derek Carr, more I think about it, definitely makes a lot of sense. 25% coming in for him there, but Allen and Burrow just absolute smashes on the top end. Let's jump on over to Sunday. Now this is going to be fun. We have Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady on the top end, 26.1%, 21.6% currently in our projections here at Osimo. Do you have a choice between the two? I think I will lean Tom Brady tentatively, and it's just based on recent performance. Patrick Mahomes, I do think if you look at the full body of work in his career and what Kansas City has been able to do is awesome. But a couple concerns I have there, the overall game environment from just a team total perspective is awesome, but the overall team total in the game is not. It's 46 and a half. That's the lowest on the board. And my concern is Pittsburgh just completely laying down. The first time these teams played, the margin of victory was something like 26 points in favor of Kansas City. They just absolutely rolled Pittsburgh. If this plays to the spread, that's a lot of what I think we'll see here. And then now with Patrick Mahomes, he's much harder to stack. It's not the same condensed target pecking order we've seen in the past. Doesn't mean it won't go back to that. But Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill have not received the same target shares. You are seeing players like Byron Pringle, Mecole Hardman, Josh Gordon, whoever it may be. And there's like four or five of them, but still they are occupying enough targets themselves to ding Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill. So he's just a little harder to stack. Whereas Tom Brady, you have a better overall game environment. They're projected for just one and a half fewer points. And the target totem pole is condensing there. Losing Chris Godwin is not a good thing. Losing Antonio Brown, not a good thing, but now Mike Evans is getting more targets. Rob Gronkowski getting more targets. So I think the stacks are actually a little more confident on that side. So the slight lean for me is Brady, but it's very slight. I'll be playing multiple lineups and I'll be playing a lot of both. Mike Evans, 14 touchdowns this season, 13 last season. The guy's ridiculous, and we aren't really even noticing that kind of stuff, which is pretty crazy to say out loud. Just a crazy amount of red zone looks, a crazy amount of touchdown equity there. So uh, Tom Brady and having that stack, the combination of the two really does make some sense to me there. 12 and a half total, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, this is the playoffs. He'll definitely put his foot on the gas here. And he's looked a lot better in recent weeks. I mean, the Kansas city's gone on a nice run here. That Cincinnati game was extremely entertaining. They never should have lost that to begin with, but otherwise it's just been straight W's across the board here since week, what nine. So uh, it's been a ridiculous, ridiculous run week eight. It looks like, so they've lost one game since then. Uh, Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, definitely something that I'm going to be trusting, but not as much as Tom Brady in the playoffs and, and looking at this stack with Mike Evans, pretty, pretty clear cut that that's something that if they're going to reach an upside, that is the direction to kind of be going. Now we have Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, of course, with his rushing upside, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, we'll kind of remove Ben Roethlisberger from the discussion because I want to, and I really have no desire to play him whatsoever at 5,200, but 
these other guys, you can kind of make a case for all of them in an upside spot here. Dak Prescott, number of weapons here on the offensive side. Same can be said for Jimmy Garoppolo and Jalen Hurts. Philadelphia is going to try to run the ball in some of these spots. It's going to be uh, a Tampa Bay team that definitely is phenomenal against the run, but something's got to give between the two with the amount of rushing attempts that Philadelphia is going to be firing out here. Is there a quarterback you're kind of preferring underneath this Mahomes Brady tier? Yeah, it's Dak and it's not really that close. I was actually surprised to see Dak's ownership coming in so low. And it's probably just a product of having Mahomes and Brady, but Dak under 20% on a, a three game slate here is pretty shocking to me. Also, that's the best game environment on the entire slate 51 point total, Dallas 27 point implied team total, San Francisco secondary certainly doesn't score, or excuse me, scare you. And then you have Dak. It seems like he's over the midseason injury. He absolutely was balling out of control last two weeks. And you can say what you want against Philadelphia in week 18. I know they didn't play their starters, but still seeing positive performance from Dak is something you like to see. He's been a little more mobile recently too. So I think the floor is slightly better and he's the third most owned quarterback on the slate, which makes me very, very interested here. I'm not quite as interested in Jalen hurts. And I think he's actually coming in a little bit over owned at 15% right now. 19 point implied team total is not great. It's only slightly better than Pittsburgh. And it's a stylistic nightmare for Jalen hurts against Tampa Bay whose strength on defense is the run. And that's what Philadelphia is going to try to do. It's a major, major weakness as far as matchup goes. And then you have Jalen Hurts. He's still coming off the injury. We don't know what his full health looks like. I imagine he's pretty close to 100% at this point, but still banged up going up against one of the best run defenses in football. That doesn't really help you here. And then in the off chance, Philadelphia does play to a lead. That's when they don't use Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, he's maximized when they're trailing. So it's just really a tough environment for Hertz. I think he's someone I'll come in significantly underweight on a lot more interested in him in cash formats for the floor. He provides the ceiling just seems questionable. Yeah. I think you can get a lot of Jalen hurts expectation through Dallas Goddard in this spot. I think that that's somebody who, if Philadelphia does play well, if this game against Tampa Bay shoots out that you can pretty much play Goddard and then have Brady on the other side with Evans and so on and so forth. I think that that'll make more sense to kind of capture some of that upside, but a 47 total 46 and a half total in that Pittsburgh KC game. And then that 51 total, I mean, a really intriguing uh, Sunday slate just really kind of sticks out to me. But as you said, Jalen hurts does a lot of his uh, damage on the ground here on the course of the season, all of his big upside spots, 29, 30, 31 fantasy points have all been through big rushing volume. Uh, So it's definitely going to be a spot where, I'm kind of devaluing him up against Tampa Bay just by default there. 19 total here. Uh, that's only rivaled by the 17 total that we have here. Implied team total for Pittsburgh. So there's that. Jimmy Garoppolo, kind of a forgotten guy. I will say the one thing that's nice about him, 5,300 maybe makes your stack a little bit more workable. Plus the volume has started to ramp up there a little bit in the previous weeks here. 35 and 32 passing attempts in his last two appearances. I kind of like just anybody on the cheap end that's going to have any kind of a volume 24 Vegas implied total. I am worried because both these defenses are pretty darn good. This seems like a gigantic total, but as you said, Dak Prescott is just rolling. I think Jimmy Garoppolo to keep them competitive would have to roll too. Do you have any Jimmy G interest? Yeah, I do. I think he's coming in under owned and the matchup's certainly tough, but it's reflected in ownership. He's the fifth most owned quarterback. So I don't think you really need to take a stand on Jimmy Garoppolo. If you're running multiple lineups, You can just play him in a few, and he's pretty easy to stack. 
George Kittle's targets went back up with Jimmy Garoppolo returning. Ayuk has quietly played a pretty solid role. I think part of that because Debo Samuel continues to alternate between wide receiver and running back. But ultimately, it makes Jimmy Garoppolo pretty easy to stack. You know where the ball's going in this offense. And if it plays to the 51-point total, this game has the most shootout potential on the entire slate. That's more than the Monday night game, more than Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, more than Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and even more than Las Vegas, Cincinnati. It's two points higher than any other total on the board. So just taking the contrarian side of this game with Jimmy Garoppolo could be a way to access this, but then give yourself a little bit of leverage. I won't be talking too much about this six-game slate, but there are definitely some offerings up there. They're just not close to what Saturdays and Sundays are because DFS companies think we just want to play Sunday stuff. Check out some spots for best ball. That has been really, really fun this week. But out of the, all of these games here, all six, I'll, I'll lump that Monday night game in as well. Who would be your favorite quarterback for the six gamer to roll out in a single entry? How big is the field? Uh, so we're talking like 50,000 entries. 50, like the $3 on DK. I think that's something that people might be playing. It's like an ADK, DK. Who would be your favorite quarterback to be targeting out of all six games? I think it's Dak. Same. Who is it? It's Dak for you too? Yeah, it's simply because we're looking at him getting everybody healthy. And when you have this entire Dallas, like you have all this weaponry, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, even a guy like Cedric Wilson, then you've got Dalton Schultz, you've got Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, a little dinged up, but it sounds like he's going to be good to go. So I'm looking at this team just, they are so good on both sides of the ball. I think if I had to bet one team just out of the middle of nowhere, of course, Green Bay has a leg up. They have to play one less game. Same thing could be said for Tennessee, but like Dallas, I think is very undervalued in the markets right now. I agree with you, it's especially the DFS markets, considering the total. That's something I'm going to keep referencing. And San Francisco has a solid defense, but it's weighted towards their unit up front. I think their secondary is the weakness of this team. Dallas has a fairly good offensive line. You have solid backs that can pass protect if needed. And then you have elite receivers, C.D. Lamb and Mari Cooper highlighting this. And Cedric Wilson's actually played really well in his return. You have Blake Jarwin coming back. He should compliment Dalton Schultz. Like you, like you said, just getting so many players back healthy is going to be huge for this team down the stretch. Yeah, the, and nobody's like super dinged up either. And there's that cannot be said about every other spot here, it seems like, on the board. So I feel pretty confident that Dak Prescott, yeah, you got to get the pass catchers right to a certain extent here. But I feel really, really good about his ceiling uh, amongst everybody else. And we are definitely looking at ceilings in tournaments. Something else that we're looking at is getting you guys hooked up with Awesome O Plus tools and content 29.95 for the weekly pass right now but not only that 25 percent off using nfl strategy show all caps one word nfl strategy show that's going to get you the premium discord that's going to get you the lineup builder ownership projections that we're going through here on this lovely lovely wednesday morning uh player projections everything you could want for every sport not just nfl but nba mma pga this weekend sony open excited to be covering that on live before lock with ben ross tonight you can have all the goods for just 25% off the NFL strategy. So NFL strategy show, look at that. It's up on the screen. We got Mike Awesome Yo over behind the, the virtual glass there. Appreciate him uh, doing a great job over here for us. And uh, just looking at this offer, it's, it's hard to really find anything that compares. If you just want the NFL DFS for the playoffs, though, here, uh, we have the weekly package going $3.95. But Find yourself to, to, if you're playing some NBA, this this is kind of the deal that you need to be taking advantage of. 25% off using that promo code. Stop guessing, start winning, and join us here at Awesome Plus today. 
All right. I was worried because, you know, Matt Kajewski, I didn't know. Like, I, I mean, I prepped a little bit last night, but I was kind of getting up this morning and all of a sudden I'm hosting this damn thing. And how are we going to talk about two slates together? And how are we going to do it? I'd say we're off to a decent start, wouldn't you? Yeah, we've got that rapport built up from a season of doing this show in the live before locks. So it's not our first rodeo. We just did this seamlessly. Seamless, completely seamless. That's the way that I look at it. You're also just a, a genius, so that helps. Let's jump over to the Saturday slate. Nice where, thing anyone's ever said. Yeah, you're also a dipshit. So, I mean, you. That's more I mean, like it. it. That's what I'm used go. to. Okay. Just, I tried to figure out what you needed from me. I, that's the kind of partner that I, in crime that I am here. Joe Mixon, 60%. Devin Singletary, 53%. Keep in mind, this is a two-game slate, so you're going to see higher ownership on some of these really consolidated spots. Joe Mixon getting a large workload in a lot of these spots. Uh, Kansas City was actually a negative game script where they ended up winning by three and come from behind fashion. But it was nice to see him get some major receiving volume in those spots because I that's not something we've always seen from Mixon in the past. Six targets, six catches against Baltimore there in that win. Eight targets, seven receptions. If he's adding that into his mix, he feels well, Mixon into the mix. <laughs> Joe Mixon really stands out at 60% here on this slate. I find him impossible to not try to jam in at only 7,100. How about you? I feel the same way. We don't have a lot of just feature backs on this slate. Devin Singletary is kind of working into that role. I think Josh Jacobs is in that role, but there's slightly more concerns with a healthy Jalen Richard. And again, if they have pure negative game script, like the game against LA was close the whole way, but if they go down in this place to the spread, do we see more Jalen Richard? It's just a question I have. You don't really have that many concerns with Mixon. The question I have for you with Mixon is, you know, is this a product of pricing? Like, are we going to try to jam in some of the elite receivers, Diggs, Jamar, and then just not have enough salary for Mixon? That's the only question I have with roster building. It's not a matter of workload, game script. All that suits him very well and in his favor. But it's just, if we can play Singletary and Jacobs at a cheaper price, do we need to get Mixon? And I don't have the answer right now. It's just something I'm mulling over. Yeah, with the existence of Gabriel Davis, sub 4K, who is somebody that I expect his ownership to just climb as we get closer to Sunday here, especially if people click on Cole Beasley's box score, because that is a dark, dark land of horrors. So I, I think <laughs> like legitimately 7,100 for Joe Mixon feels like a discount off of what you should be paying for him throughout the entire season. We were paying, you know, 7,500, 7,700, 8K there in some spots towards the end of the year. Uh, this just feels like a spot where there was there was a little bit of regression there in some places. Baltimore, obviously, he put his foot down 31 and a half. Joe Burrow exploded in that spot and everybody came along with him. But Joe Mixon, 7,100. The other nice thing is that I feel like in certain game scripts, he could just take the air out of the ball, carry it 25 times. He hasn't really gotten a ton of workload towards that end of the season. And this is coming off of games where he had 30 touches against Vegas, 28 against Pittsburgh. So... I think there's a major, if they end up a score or two up, Joe Mixon is going to really, really get a workload. And I think just being overweight to a guy like him makes me feel a little bit more confident than the guys below him here. And Josh Jacobs had a phenomenal game there uh, in that in that regular season finale against the Chargers. Uh, 26 touches, two catches, you know, 25.4. That looks really, really nice. He pretty much is going to be solidified in that backfield so long as he's healthy and good to go. Damian Harris has had this hamstring injury lingering, but he's still gotten a ton of work. So I'm not too concerned about it, but just doesn't really st stand out to me. 
Uh, and Devin Singletary, he hasn't seen under 68% of the offensive snaps here in the last five weeks, but you know, in the playoffs, Zach Moss being active, uh, I don't know exactly what that looks like if they get up, if Devin Singletary ends up being some kind of a feature back that is going to just be carrying the ball 20 times here in this spot. He's the guy that I'm feeling a little bit shaky about at 52.9%, a little bit better about Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris. God, it, it's just so hard with the split of him and Stevenson here in the playoffs with the lowest total here on the Saturday slate. But how do you kind of look at this next tier of running backs? I think we're in agreement in a lot of spots. Singletary makes the most sense to me. Price adjusted. They're a favorite. They've essentially phased out Zach Moss and Matt Breida in recent weeks. When they're down, he has a solid pass catching role. He's had at least 18 touches in four straight games. And with Josh Jacobs, the concern is they could be playing from negative game script. Now, he's been very good as a pass catcher of late, not something he's historically done in his career, but he's also more expensive than Singletary. The implied team total is lower, so the scoring expectation is not quite as high. If I'm ranking these backs on the slate, it's Mixon 1, Singletary 2, and Josh Jacobs 3. From there, there's a massive drop-off down to Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. But that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't target those guys. It is reflected in ownership. And a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, who missed a large portion of their most recent game, I believe he was being evaluated for a concussion, but came back in the game, so that's positive. He's at 10%, and he's at 5,100. If this backfield split continues like we've seen in recent weeks, and Ramondre just happens to be the guy that scores the touchdown, that's something you could definitely look at in tournaments. And the same goes for Damian Harris. It's just those guys are clearly a cut below the top three on the slate because of the split. Is that how you view it? I view it as in I'm probably a sicko and going to get to the most of Brandon Bolden out of this New York, uh, New England side. For the so, pass catching? Yeah, the pass catching portion of the program. Because Ramondre Stevenson, this was a negative game script against Miami. They were playing that one straight up. Ramondre Stevenson only played 15% of the offensive snaps. Now, that might have been coming off of being dinged up and you know Damian Harris is or sorry yeah Damian Harris is the most dinged up out of everybody with that hamstring issue that's been lingering since that Buffalo game where he was exceptional but you could see him just limping around there that didn't affect him the next week against Buffalo 18 carries 103 yards touchdown there uh that looked or yeah it was back-to-back weeks because again he played week 13 didn't play again until week 16 came right out of the gate hot there but Brandon Bolden, if you're going to be stacking up some Josh Allen, which is going to be a big portion of my builds, I feel like Brandon Bolden is like the de facto, you have to be playing a lot of him. He's 4,800, gives you some savings. He's only 7% right now, but you know, I'm, I'd be upwards of 25, 30, 35%, especially in any Josh Allen build. He feels like the guy, and this sounds ridiculous, but he's probably the guy that I feel most confident running back that game with on the other side. Do you agree with that whatsoever? I don't know who I feel comfortable running it back with on the other side. I, I feel like I have to say Jacoby Myers, but that doesn't factor in price. You know what and I mean? And he's dinged up. Yeah. I, there's just not a, cl- a lot of clarity in that New England receiving room right now. So it's hard for me to say right now. I understand your thesis. I just think I'll need to wait for more information. But your your play does make a lot of sense with Brandon Bolden at 7%. He's risky. He's a large field tournament play, but you laid out all the reasons why you would play him in that context. Yeah, Pot Farmer saying, I can't see Bill giving a rookie running back many carries in the playoffs. He's going to give anybody carries that is good. Anybody that can help that team win. I think you throw everything you think about him during the regular season or whatever else. If Damon Harris fumbles, I can guarantee you Ramondre Stevenson is carrying the ball the rest of the game. Like that's, that's how Bill Belichick operates. But 
I see what you're saying there. Um, for me, yeah, Brandon Bolden just kind of sticks out. The James White role, if you will, here. Uh, rookie quarterback that might be dumping it off more than we might think in this spot. Uh, they are definitely going to try to run the football in this game. And if they are not effective, if they get down a score or two, and it's contrary to that game that we saw where Mac Jones attempted, what, three passes uh, in the weather, just the ridiculous weather, they're not going to have that kind of uh, situation here. I think Brandon Bolden is a guy that I feel pretty, pretty confident in. But let's jump on over to Sunday. This is really fun. We're just bouncing back and forth, talking about everything else. Anything else for you actually on the Saturday slate from running back? Because I got nothing. I don't think so. Millie Maker Fields, you can consider guys like Moss, P. Ryan, but those are, that's it. Like only case scenario where you'd play any of those guys. I could see Zach Moss coming in at the one yard line and like pounding one in. Like I, I could see that in the playoffs more so. Like Josh Allen will actually give up a football in the playoffs rather than in the regular season where he's going to try to do everything himself. Not that he's like Aaron Rodgers selfish, but he's very good at football. Let's jump on over to Leonard Fournette's season. He is back. He practiced in full today. I saw that. That was lovely to see. You got him and you got Giovanni Bernard back. One of those matters. One of them doesn't. Guess which one? Leonard Fournette, 51.4% projected ownership. He projects just miles ahead of everybody else here on this slate. Part of that is Philadelphia. They love hemorrhaging footballs on the ground here as well. This game could just fit Leonard Fournette perfectly. You have none of these other skill position players like Chris Godwin, who's going to be out. Cyril Grayson probably. A lot of, lot of touches in store for Leonard Fournette so long as he's good to go. At 5,600, how do you get away from 51% of that guy? He's under owned in my opinion. I think you, you play more of him than that. Tampa Bay's an enormous favorite. The matchup's not great, but definitely doesn't scare you, especially with them being so, so favored. And then what's Leonard Fournette's role been like? He's had such a solid role as a pass catcher that the matchup doesn't even really matter that much. The scoring expectations high. The receiving floor is enormous. There's no Ronald Jones, presumably. I, I don't really see a way you can get around Leonard Fournette on this slate. He's just egregiously underpriced. Yep, it's ridiculous. 5,600. Maybe DraftKings just took a nap because they're like, oh, Leonard Fournette's not going to play forever. It's like when somebody gets injured and they go down to the min on FanDuel or something, and then all of a sudden, oh, shit, they're playing, and they're playing 90% of snaps. That's what could be in store here for Leonard Fournette. So buckle up, y'all. That's going to be fun. I find this fascinating. And I know it's because of workload, and I know it's because we've seen a lot of receiving volume for him, and he basically plays 90% of the snaps. I liked him. You know, I liked him in the slate last week. I've, I've liked him in a lot of these slates in recent weeks on site to site. It depends. But Najee Harris, 32.3% projected ownership for him. This team is definitely the lowest implied total on the board here for Sunday slate. It's a Pittsburgh team that now has, you know, I think Deontay Johnson's fine, uh, which is kind of strange because he was dinged up in that regular season finale there against Baltimore. I thought he was legitimately hurt and that would have been a problem, but they snuck in the playoffs here. Najee Harris is now in our lives. He's a very popular back. I don't know what to do with him. What would you do if the slate started today? I would probably try to get underweight on the field. It's not a place where I think you can really stand to fade all these backs, especially if you're running multiple lineups. But Najee dislocated his elbow, presumably, in that most recent game. Doesn't mean he'll be out. He did return. But how healthy is he really? Is he at a risk of aggravation? It's at least a question to be asked. And then you have them with the lowest implied team total across any slate this weekend. So scoring expectation is minimal. And then you really have to rely on the receiving role for him to get there. 
I would rather just do that with Leonard Fournette, all things considered. But again, if you're playing just Sunday only, it's a three-game slate. So if you're getting contrarian, you'll have to do that in some spots. It's just to me, Najee Harris isn't really the guy to do it with because he's coming in as the second most owned back on that slate. So right now he's a guy that I'm tentatively leaving out in a lot of builds, but I'll still be playing some just under the field. Jordan Klein threw me off because he's talking about how beautiful my hair looks coming through a loop. Look at this. Look at this. Jordan We're gonna go get supposed a to be, he's supposed to be off and he's still in the chat. Love yeah. What the hell is wrong with you, dude? Go live your life. Go live your life, please. And I'll see you later this afternoon because I miss you. Eli Mitchell, 5,700 there for him. I, I find it fascinating looking at his snap counts because he's only played 58 and 53% of the offensive snaps compared to 60% plus that he had played every single game other than week 10 where he was healthy. I'm looking at him, though, with 21 and 21 rushing attempts here. If you're trying to get away from some of the builds where I'm going to be playing a lot of Dak Prescott, Eli Mitchell is the guy that could see a ton of carries if San Francisco were to somehow get up in that spot, which isn't crazy to say. They're only three-point dogs here against the Cowboys. That workload is so, so secure for him. We know that Shanahan really likes giving the ball to one back and one back alone, uh, if you count Debo Samuel back now, I guess, too. But Eli Mitchell, 5,700. I like him more than I like Najee Harris simply because of the game environment, because of some red zone equity that could exist there. And just as kind of a contrarian piece from that entire game, only 27.7% of ownership, which sounds like, oh, well, he's the third highest running back, but everybody is going to be owned at the wide receiver position. I feel like Eli Mitchell getting slept on a little bit. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think people keep trying to ding his role, but they just have used him like a lead back, no matter what the circumstances in certain games, we've even seen him with a solid receiving floor. So I think that's in the range of outcomes. But this is also a very run-heavy team. The spread is three. Even if Dallas gets up by more than that, we know San Francisco is just going to have more run attempts than a lot of other teams. And Jermichael Hasty hasn't been involved. Jeff Wilson has zero carries since Eli Mitchell returned. So there's just a lot of opportunity here. And I think people are sleeping on him with how inefficient he's been in recent weeks. So I'm with you, full of greens. I like Eli Mitchell a lot as a contrarian play. And now it's going to get to the they're dinged up, what the hell do we do portion of the program. We've got CEH and Daryl Williams. Obviously, everybody wants to have exposure to that game. We have a toe issue for Daryl Williams. We have that same, what is it, shoulder issue specifically for CEH. I thought it was a collarbone once upon a time when it happened live, but I just know that he's been out of our lives for a while here. 5,500. And 50, what is it? 5,200. So really no price discrepancy here. We'll see how kind of the tea leaves look between those two backs. But I think you got to be taking shots on them in some regard, considering the 29 total that they have going up against Pittsburgh. Miles Sanders, sounds like him and Jordan Howard both going to be good to go here for Philadelphia. 5K for him, Jordan Howard, 4,300. But we know how notorious it is to try to run the football on this Tampa Bay defense. So not exactly at the top of the priority list. The guy that I don't really know what to do is Ezekiel Elliott. He's coming in very, very popular as well, the fourth most popular back. And I don't really know how this Tony Pollard situation, what it looks like, but Ezekiel Elliott has been limited, beyond limited in a lot of these spots of, of late, and the box score cannot look worse. Um, I'm more inclined to take shots away from him if he's going to be around 25%. But this entire tier, there are major, major question marks once you get underneath the ownership of Fournette, Najee Harris, and Eli Mitchell. Who are you gravitating to the most, Matt Kachewski? The Kansas City situation is the most attractive to me, which we're still waiting on a lot of news. 
Last I saw Andy Reid talking, he was confident that Clyde Edwards Hilaire would practice. Now he used the word practice. He didn't say play in the game, which has me a little bit skeptical, but again, we'll get that news as the week moves along. If Edwards Hilaire is healthy, he should be the tentative lead back. They'll use multiple backs, but I would expect Edwards Hilaire to have most of the work, especially considering Daryl Williams left their Sunday game himself, Saturday game, excuse me, himself mm-hmm. in his status. He could be a little banged up in this spot too. The only concern is like Jared McKinnon played pretty well. Derek Gore has played pretty well. So does this timeshare devolve into a three or four back committee, which would be an absolute worst case scenario. I still think it's worth taking shots on because Kansas City's implied for so many points. I hope we get some clarity with Dallas and Tony Pollard's status. It seems like his absence was somewhat precautionary, but he's definitely not out of the woods yet. They have a pretty good implied team total. They're going up against the strength of San Francisco's defense, but again, 27 point implied team totals, only two and a half below Kansas City. So there's a lot of touchdown equity. If that were to be consolidated towards one back, or maybe the news that, you know, if this came out that Pollard was limited, I've had, I'd have more interest in Elliott. But right now, it's just really hard to talk about either of those situations given the news we're waiting on. Sanders, I have a little less interest in just because the implied team total is so bad, but he might be a contrarian play if some of these situations don't shake out how we hope they will. Well, my question is between Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, and Boston Scott, who do you see out on the field in a negative game script the most? 50-50 Scott and Sanders, probably Scott. See, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And so right now with Boston Scott, 1.3% as opposed to Miles Sanders, 16.9%. If I'm worried about the implied totals for that, wouldn't I just take some shots on Boston Scott inherently? Plus, in the event that Miles Sanders is limited, Again, this is this is kind of, I feel like, the story of the Sunday slate is figuring out what that workload, whatever the field thinks is the assumed workload, do the opposite. So, like, Miles Sanders, if we're just going to assume that he's going to be a full go, that he's ready to rock uh, immediately here, and if the field's going to have 17% of him and only 1.3% of Boston Scott, don't we want to jam the guy who's cheaper, who's actually healthy at 4,500? I think we do want shares of him especially okay. in Millie maker style tournaments. It's kind of the same premise you had with Brandon Bolden, where yeah. it's a team that's down projected to be down significantly. The game you want shots in the past, catching back potentially in a game script that's negative here. So I see the play it, again, like Brandon Bolden, this is a large field tournament play. I, it's not something I would do in low risk contests, but I do think the, the path is there. It, it's just interesting because Miles Sanders has been such a good pass catcher in the past too. It's, it's curious to me. All right. He's not really being used in that capacity. Again, I don't think that's going to change. We've seen it multiple games now, but man, like what are they doing with Miles Sanders? They are limiting his ability because it's really fun when you have exciting football players who, I don't know. You remember that Rose bowl. I remember that Rose bowl. That was bonkers. Miles Sanders was the best player on the field bar none. It was insane. That was Penn state USC. Correct. Yeah, I believe so. That was a fun game. Penn State really exciting in those days. Dude, Penn State had a ridiculous Hackenberg season. No, it was not great. Maybe it was really another shot in the XFL. I don't know. (laughs) Oh man, Hackenberg. I can't remember if I even had a take about that guy being good or not. All I know is that Penn State confirmed exciting Rose Bowl. That USC game was out of its damn mind, but you know, it's also out of its damn mind. Prize Picks, the sponsor here of the Ownership Show. We're previewing everything with their help here today. You need to go over there and play some of these daily prop contests that you have. We're talking about these running back situations. You might be able to extract some value in their prop-based markets. Now, this is the way that it works. 
You play two, three, four, or five players. You parlay them together. You can up to 10X your entry fee. Now, if you play five, you can get four out of five right and still 4X your money. You can get three out of five right and still get 0.4X your money back. So you can get a little bit back, whereas a traditional sports book, you need to get the five out of five or you're getting paid zero. So legitimately, there's some really fun ways to do it. We're going to parlay a bunch of those together here. There's no sharks, optimizers, mass entries, none of the DFS stuff that we're looking at over there. But you can use your knowledge, not just of NFL, but they have NBA, they have cricket, they have CSGO listed at the top, MMA, women's European basketball, which I had to like jokingly once upon a time drop a, a name in just because I, it got Laffy off this rocker. But legitimately, it was, it was an enjoyable experience to be able to parlay some of that together. It also hit. That was, that was great. But check out Prize Picks here now. They're the presenting sponsor here of this show. They have been all season long. We love working with them. And we're going to give you one free month of Awesome Plus Platinum when you sign up and make a deposit at Prize Picks. You simply will get a notification within 24, 48 hours. You'll get that Awesome Plus free month. Good times will be had by all. So go download it at the App Store, at Google Play, or head to prizepix.com and use our free player props tool while you're at it. I know it's available for NBA, NFL. There's some spots to be able to grab some props there as well at oddshopper.com. Cross-reference, super quick to be able to go to Prize Picks and Odd Shopper, be able to find out where the best lines are and fire them up. So stop guessing, start winning. Join Awesome Plus through this promotion at Prize Picks. Thank you so much to them for their sponsorship all year long of this show. It's been a blast. I speak for not just myself and Matt Kajewski, but for Lafayette as well. We love playing at prize picks. We know you will too. All right, let's head to the wide receiver position. We got just uh, right around 18 minutes left. We can go like a minute or two over. We kind of always do that anyway, but there's no like chit chat today. There's no talking about Matt Kajewski and his lifestyle, which I think he's appreciating a little bit. Do you appreciate that? Or do you want me to talk about it? No, I'm, I'm good with the pure football talk. This, this is my wheelhouse. <laughs> Just a football purist over here. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, uh, all of these Cincinnati pass catchers. Tyler Boyd as well. Three of the five, uh, three of the six most popular players. No, three of the five. I was correct. T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. It's like, pick your poison. Like, best of luck figuring out exactly what needs to happen. We had T. Higgins inactive there. Jamar Chase played all of what, like, couple snaps didn't really do much there in that loss to Cleveland. Nobody really cared. I'm looking at these two guys and I really don't know how you say one or the other, other than T Higgins has a massive discount, $1,600. If that can go to work for you, I think T Higgins could end up a little bit more popular, which makes Jamar chase kind of the forgotten guy. And I'd say until recently where he had that massive 58.6 explosion, he was kind of the forgotten guy uh, on this Cincinnati team. It was Joe Mixon. It was, T Higgins because of the price and he just got into really good late season form. What are you looking at doing between those two wide receivers? And is there any kind of a lean that you have between the two? I'm going to play a lot of them both right now. I feel like the discount in price is worth the elevated ownership with T Higgins. We're talking a 1600 price difference on DraftKings, but only a six and a half percent ownership difference. So when you can save that much price, like you said, if I can put this to good use, maybe get up to a mix in or, a Burrow or Josh Allen, whoever it may be, maybe play digs in the other game. I'm going to try to use that salary, but if it doesn't work more than comfortable, just paying up for chase. I haven't built a lot of rosters yet. And ultimately I'm planning on playing multiple. I'm planning on using both of these guys, but if you're only making one, I think I would prefer Higgins tentatively, just not he's worth the price you save in taking the extra 6% ownership. My question is for this Saturday slate, are you more inclined to double stack 
Joe Burrow in some of these places up against Vegas, considering, you know, Buffalo, Stefan Diggs can definitely eat up a lot of that target share. And, you know, especially come playoff time, I feel pretty confident that if Joe Burrow is going to go for a ceiling, I won't want to skinny stack him. That's kind of the way that I feel about it. Just because of Josh Allen's uh, running ability. Would you find paths to get to both of them and move on? Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely the case. Ultimately, like with Josh Allen, how does he access the ceiling? He could do mm-hmm. so on the ground. How does Burrow access the ceiling? It's coming through the air. Yep. The, the only thing I hesitate with is salary is, is not that tight. So maybe you just want to jam highest raw scores, but I really don't see a scenario where if you have Burrow throwing the ball to chase and you get ceiling games, like out of chase and Higgins where Burrow isn't the highest score himself. So I think in large field tournaments, maybe you could do some weird stuff, but ultimately if I'm using Burrow in tournaments, I'm probably going to try to stack him with at least two other players on Cincinnati. All right. Next year of wide receiver is fascinating because of obviously Stefan Diggs. Uh, I'm in love with him. If I'm going to be playing a lot of Josh Allen, once again, I feel more confident, confident. I can skinny stack uh, a little bit of Josh Allen. I don't feel that same way about Joe Burrow, where if he's going to outperform Josh Allen, I feel like I want to take two wide receivers or two pass catchers with me. And it is nice, I guess, just because, you know, tight end is pretty benign in that Cincinnati offense. I feel a lot more inclined to just play a lot of the wide receivers and move on. But Hunter Renfro, even with the return of Darren Waller there, who played, you know, over 70%, over 75% of the snaps here in this spot in his return, still got to the house on two of those five targets, two touchdowns. Really nice to see some of that. Accessed his ceiling in a little, little bit of a different way. Darren Waller was very inefficient. Nine targets, two catches there in this spot. I'm kind of surprised to see at 6,400, he's at 38%. I feel like that's a little bit high. Something I'd probably come in uh, under on, but has definitely accessed ceilings in different ways. I just worry with Darren Waller back for the playoffs, you know, being mixed in right away here. This is kind of a tough number to get to for me on Hunter Renfro. He might be my big fade of the day on this Saturday, Saturday slate. How do you feel about him on this slate? I think we're in lockstep. His role changed when Waller initially left. His role changed again in the first game where Waller returned. So this is a concern for me. And when you have viable players at the same price range, very, very cheap players, I think that have maybe a similar projection or if not similar, just a slightly lower, if you get like 95% of what Renfro is going to do at like 4,600 or something like that, that's something I'm definitely going to be looking at. And I think with the influx of casual people playing playoff DFS this weekend, you're still going to have the recency bias mm-hmm. for Hunter Renfro, who's been amazing this year. He's had a fantastic season. A lot of that has been backloaded in the games without Waller. And that's a major concern for me as well. So we, we're in lockstep with our viewing of Renfro. I think he is the most over-owned receiver on the slate if it were to start today. Look at, look at us being all sharp and stuff. Watch him go for like 15 catches and 200 oh. yards at a touchdown. That'll feel nice. Right Eric, in our eye has, hole. Eric, this, this is Thanksgiving feels. <laughs> Don't see games, that. Three-game slate, all the marbles, and, and someone like Renfro buries me. It's a perennial tradition mm-hmm. where Marvin Jones buries me on Thanksgiving. Fortunately, he wasn't on the Thanksgiving yeah. slate this year, but has those feels. Yeah, my Christmas tradition now in NBA is that somebody buries me in the first game, and I faded like a 50-something percent Kemba Walker in the in the first game in new york and he went for like a 10 10 10 triple double like just a ridiculous ridiculous outcome didn't even shoot the ball well it was so so tilting and i love kemba walker i've been playing a ton of him up to that point but then i was like "Mm, gotta hit eject because 
recency bias. And now he's terrible. But of course, on Christmas, he went completely berserk. It's just like stuff like this happens. But here's the thing. I'm just going to it's a one game sample size. We have to look at this. If this if we played this slate out 100 times, would I want to see Hunter Renfro? Like how many times would he end up optimal? I'm guessing less than 38 percent of the time. So as I'm looking at it that like in that perspective, I'm more inclined to be siding with a lot of these Cincinnati pass catchers, a lot of these other pass catchers here from Buffalo, which kind of is the next portion here. Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley. I said Cole Beasley's another dude that I'm just kind of surprised on what we're seeing. His snap share, his his offensive snap counts are just all over the place over the course of the last six weeks, seven weeks. And I really don't know what to think about it. All I know is that I've been playing none of him and it's worked very well uh, for my bankroll, just, you know, because he's somebody that I would be jamming a lot more in those spots. Gabriel Davis has really catapulted into a, a crazy spot. He had 14 targets, only three catches here in week 18. But like, what a ridiculous workload to be getting at 3,900. I can tell you one thing. He would be my highest owned wide receiver bar none at 20.7%. If the slate started today, are you with me? Yeah, I am. I think the only news we're waiting on is Emmanuel Sanders. And I don't know, to me, he didn't seem particularly close to playing. So I'm, it's Wednesday. We'll get more information as the week goes on. But right at this point, I'm tentatively expecting Emmanuel Sanders to sit. And aside from last week's game, like prior to that, Gabriel Davis played fantastic football in place of Emmanuel Sanders. I think there's an argument that he's been better. Yep. Now, last week was a different story. Three catches on 14 targets was kind of a disaster. Kind of your quarterback's fault for some of it. Right, though. right. And to me, that's a signal for future production. Like he got looked at 14 yes. times by Josh Allen. There, how many times do we see like one blip on the radar and people get off a guy and then they come back? Jamar Chase was a great example in the preseason. These things happen, bad games happen. It's a volatile sport. But 14 targets, that's absolutely amazing opportunity especially at 3,900. So that's something I like a lot. I prefer him over Cole Beasley. I also think with Cole Beasley's role playing in the slot, you're going to get a lot of underneath stuff, PPR value, but I don't know what the upside is for a big play or a touchdown, especially with Gabriel Davis playing a larger role, a guy they've used in the red zone a lot throughout his short career in the league. So we're also in lockstep here. Like Gabriel Davis, he's, he's like the cheapest receiver you can get that's attached to an explosive offense because with Cincinnati, Tyler Boyd, is a little more expensive than him. And he's mm-hmm. pretty clearly the wide receiver three. I think in some games, Gabriel Davis is going to be the wide receiver two behind Diggs. Allen runs for touchdowns. Yes, he does run for touchdowns. You know what he also does? He targets Gabriel Davis 14 times in a game. That's really nice to see. Uh, he's had some massive, massive upsides in spots. He had four touchdowns in his last five weeks. Cumulative. I look at the last two box scores and I'm not too, I'm not too thrown off by it here. I feel pretty good about that course we got to pay attention to that emmanuel sanders news but as it stands right now gabriel davis if the sleeve started today and you were to have no emmanuel sanders no doubt i would have a ton of that guy here who under 20 percent though do we want to be taking shots on we haven't talked about the new england pass catchers mainly because i don't want to brian edwards emmanuel sanders obviously down there in the event that he does play you can maybe take some shots on but i, I still think gabriel davis has a role with emmanuel sanders i keep saying that um that i wouldn't want to go there but i, I think it's pretty clear cut that you're going to have Gabriel Davis on the field for a lot of snaps. Nelson Aguilar immediately catapulted back into the mix here after Christian Wilkerson was, was unbelievable out of the middle of nowhere. His four catches, two touchdowns that he had in week 17. Then all of a sudden Nelson Aguilar gets plugged in with his role immediately and does nothing. But I don't see a whole lot that I want to be taking shots on under 20%. I think the tight end position might be where we find some value on this Saturday slate from pass catchers. 
I agree 100%. I, I don't think I want to target anyone in this price range outside of maybe a New England Kendrick Bourne or Nelson Aguilar. Like, you could play Jacoby Myers at 25%. You could play Zay Jones at 29%. And my goodness, looking at the Zay Jones box score, like, it hasn't always been pretty, but the volume is what has been a big surprise to me. Zay Jones has been targeted a ton. He's easily working ahead of Brian Edwards, working ahead of Deshaun Jackson, and it's not really close. This guy's seeing comparable volume to Hunter Renfro in some spots. So I, I think just paying down for Zay Jones makes a lot of sense if you're targeting Vegas. But ultimately, when you you draw the hard cap at 20% ownership, I think it's Bourne or Nelson Aguilar or I'm not getting to anybody. Yeah, I sing. Uh, Antoine Wilkerson will be active again, FYI. Uh, if you have no Jacoby Myers, you for damn sure will be. But I'm not positive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's sure. only had the one time that he's been active this entire season, and he just happened to explode in it. And then he wasn't active for week 18. So riddle me that, Batman. Riddle me that. I maybe he's did a he, preseason was he superstar. He was unbelievable. Him and Ramadre Stevenson, they were just doing this for us. Matt Kajewski and I were doing shows, and we were just like raining in on New England. Those were good times. I miss those times. Those I love fun. preseason DFS. One of the best times of the year. I talked you into playing preseason cash. That's definitely, that was how this relationship was for. That was super profitable. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's jump over to the Sunday slate here. Wide receiver. Once again, we're going to spend a little bit more time on this wide receivers position. We'll do tight end. We will get ourselves out of here after we talk top stacks to round it out. We're going to go to like five, five after five after is kind of what we normally do here. The NBA guys, they got off so promptly though today. So well done. New uh, Tyreek Hill. 43.2%. 43.2%. CD Lamb, 36.5%. Mike Evans, 30.4%. Amari Cooper, 30%. Debo Samuel, 26.5%. I'm putting those five into their own little tier because out of somebody in this top five of ownership, somebody's going to explode for a massive ceiling. Who do you think it is most likely to be Matt Kajewski? Might be a hot take, but I think it's Mike Evans. Yes, it is. That is the only answer. We are. We are disgusting today. I think a lot of the natural instinct is to see Tyree kill. Of course, Tyree kill mm-hmm. his skill set. We all, we all know what it is. We've seen it many times. Tyree kills banged up right now. I mean, he was pretty soft in their last game. I don't know how hurt he is, but either just set out or don't play at all or, or just play your full role or don't play at all. Tyreek. Like, I, I don't know what you did on the field to contribute last week. So who knows what his help is or who knows if he's going to play the whole game because he seems to not decide himself, but Mike Evans, He's just in a locked-in role right now with Tom Brady, a role we haven't really seen any receiver play with Brady. We don't have Godwin. We don't have Antonio Brown. The targets are going to be there for Evans. Normally, he's a guy that has a massive ceiling but a lower floor because of the target volatility. I don't think we have that anymore. He's bringing an elevated like security blanket that he didn't normally play with this year. So for me, at his price and the projected ownership, which is over 10% below Tyreek Hill, with an implied team total that is just narrowly behind Kansas City, it's hard for me not to target Evans and isolate him as the best receiver on the slate, price adjusted, ownership considered. Yeah, it's just, it's so clear cut, especially (laughs) weird that this matters, but Cyril Grayson dinged up with a hamstring injury. It sounds like he's going to be okay, that he's not going to have like some kind of a season ending situation. So we'll probably see him in these playoffs. I just don't think he probably gives it a go this time around. I don't think that affects Evans. No, I don't think it does either. We're talking 27 touchdowns in the last two years. We're talking they, they, 14 this year. He is so underrated. It's ridiculous. They use these guys in different roles in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And Grayson, he's he's your track star. Like he's, he's the burner. 
And that's what they have Brashad Perriman for. So I would expect like Perriman to fill that role or like Scotty Miller's played it in the past. These guys that are burners. Then you have Evans is like your prototypical X downfield, big bodied contested catch receiver. And then you have the slot guys and your slot guys. It was Antonio Brown. It's Tyler Johnson. And if, if he goes down, it's Jalen Darden. Like these guys play pretty consistent roles and Evans his targets have been consistent no matter, no matter what. And now they're elevated with the injuries to your point. I think Grayson going down might only help him further. I that's what I'm saying. That's what I, I think it's a benefit to him. Yeah. Like, okay. We're in agreement. So I think I misunderstood you at first. Oh, okay. No, I'm saying that it's a, it's a plus for Mike Evans is, is having just yeah, more target volume, his direction, Tyler Johnson. Sure. Ain't it. Uh, sure. Ain't it. He's been seeing more volume here now, even with Grayson out there. So Isn't I just he kind a of Minnesota like, guy. Oh yeah, he's rah rah for Skyuma, rah 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 for the U of M. Yeah, I grew up going to those games big time. It was it was good times. Actually, growing up going to watch their uh, like college basketball was so much fun at that stadium. But they're pretty while. decent this year. They're better than I thought they'd be. Well, they've been surprising in the Big Ten the last couple of years. But you know, it's this might be the first time they've had some talent rather than it just being like Marcus Carr season. Yeah, there's that there's that it's been fun it's been fun but uh, iowa state they're playing competitive baylor kansas close losses i'm feeling good about this mac and jesse i don't even cover college basketball i can't i can't go on this tangent it's i just love all sports you're holding your own man you know a lot about these teams already but we can talk about that more closer to march madness we can i'm so excited dude it's the best it's the most wonderful time of the year no doubt about it all right i'm done with that here we go uh, deontay johnson I will say 25% for him. I'm obsessed. He's just got a ridiculous target share from this team. 15, 10 targets. I mean, we see just double digit targets week in, week out for Deontay Johnson. So hard to kind of get away from that. Uh, He's kind of the one other guy that I didn't list off there. Devonta Smith, no thank you. I understand why he's somewhat popular there and they're going to have to move the ball in some regard. And that might be how they try to do it. I'm more inclined to go with Dallas Goddard than I am Devonta Smith at 26%. You got to find some places to make a stand, but this entire mid-tier of wide receiver. I love how stacked it is uh, on the last slate when you have guys like uh, Tyler Boyd on on uh, Saturday, you have Gabriel Davis. I don't see a whole heck of a lot here that I want to be getting to. How about you? Where are we cutting this off? Uh, like the 40, let's go like 40, 4K to 6K. Ooh, ooh, 4K to 6K. Well. Brandon Ayuk, you said you liked. I do like Brandon Ayuk and not definitely not as much as the that's why I, this is when we talk about Joe Mixon, this is, this is why I was considering leaving him out potentially is because I think there's such an opportunity cost at the wide receiver position, the, with the exception being Gabriel Davis on the other slate, obviously. But so on this slate, I also think there's the similar opportunity cost at running back where you can take like Fournette and these cheap guys, and then you can jam the expensive receivers, which makes a lot of sense to me because when you go down, like who do we feel comfortable about? I think Cedric Wilson, but he's still the wide receiver three, maybe the wide receiver four. If you consider Dalton Schultz, you have Chase Claypool. I I think a lot of people are interested in him thinking Deontay Johnson might miss the last week, but that didn't happen. And then Claypool plays more of a downfield role for an extremely inaccurate quarterback. Whereas Johnson's your underneath guy and he's peppered with targets from there. Like Ayuk is great in the role he's been playing, but I think a lot of that's predicated on the snaps that Debo plays at running back that elevate his target share. So even he's a little risky to me. I think my favorite two plays in this range for Sunday are Ayuk and Cedric Wilson, but that's still pretty tentative. Grayson, I would have more interest in if we get clarity on his health, but we're still just waiting on that news. I get this weird feeling that like a f- 
I mean, he's under 4K here, but Juwan Jennings is going to be popular at 4%. Oh, he balled out last week. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I have a feeling he's going to be popular. And I maybe not like 20% popular, but like 15% popular for sure. He probably deserves more work. He's good. He's he's like a really he's weird good. player. Converted like receiver tight end hybrid. Mm-hmm. Not very, I mean, he went to a terrible college to kind of highlight his skills. Where did set. he go to college? Please just Tennessee. Oh, okay. You're incredible. You're an he, you're he's a sick like, person. He's like the Marcus Callaway. Like a lot of those Tennessee. Oh, that's a good comp, actually. Or like Josh Palmer. A lot of these guys that go to Tennessee and are really high recruits, just they they go there on the, the pedigree of the program. But in those years, their coaching staff was really poor and they were a bottom feeder in the SEC. So a lot of them couldn't maximize their talent. It's actually kind of the same issue that happened with Kamara and why he failed at, at college. I shouldn't say failed, but why he sort of underperformed in college. It had nothing to do with Kamara. It had everything to do with the coaches. Mm-hmm. So Jennings was kind of like this diamond in the rough entering the league. And now his skill set's finally being highlighted. So it's kind of cool to see. Pringle, Hardman, Robinson, pick one. Pringle, tentatively. I think so. Hardman would be a lot more interesting to me if Tyreek was out or limited. And I think we saw that in their most recent game where Tyreek was limited. Hardman comes in and he fills that. I don't want to call it a gadget role, but you know what I mean? His skill set yeah. as a burner, he gets those kind of like design plays underneath where maybe he can break one. They'll use him on shot plays downfield. He has that skill set. So if Tyreek's limited, it would be Hardman. Otherwise, I think Pringle has the most consistent role when everybody's healthy. All righty. Let's jump on over to tight end here for the Saturday slate. Hit that like button here, especially because, you know, we've got myself, Mike Awesome, you know, we're moderating the chat. We see what's going on. I see what's happening in the world. Let's all relax a little bit. We're having some fun. Just talking some NFL. I'll, we'll make it eight minutes here left to go. We'll go all the way till 10. Uh, that sounds fun. Top end of tight end. We should fly through this one actually pretty quick and top stacks and get out of here. But Darren Waller, he's back. He should be popular. He saw a lot of targets Same, we can't like Gabriel Davis and his 14 targets with nothing. And then just dislike Darren Waller at 5,700. We know the kind of upside that that guy can provide. Of course, Dawson knocks 5,100. It's just a steep decline, $600 less, but you are getting legitimately so much less of the work. This is not your mid season Dawson Knox. Maybe, maybe he can find a little something here coming down towards the end, but Dawson Knox for 600 less. He's going to have a, a stark ownership discount here, but Hunter Henry, 16%. That might be the guy that I gravitate towards simply because we can see a little bit of that volume here. Maybe a nice run back here from the from that side. But it's going to be really hard to get away from Darren Waller. 53.7%. He really hasn't put it up in the box score for all those box score watchers this entire season outside of week one against Baltimore. What are you looking to do with a super popular Darren Waller in this spot? I still don't know if he's owned enough. It's really tricky because we have to fill the tight end slot. Like if you were asking me who I would rather play one for one between Renfro and Waller, it would be Waller. He's cheaper. I think he has better volume. It's just been a little less consistent. Like Waller, they'll use a little more downfield. Renfro has the really easy like pitching catch opportunities running out of the slot. But outside of that, when we have to fill the tight end slot, you do have to consider ownership. And Waller's failed in a lot of spots, even with his volume. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that that happens again. I think the easiest player that could eclipse him in raw score is Knox just off touchdowns alone. Mm -hmm. Buffalo should score a lot, but ultimately you're only saving $600 going to Knox. I would have a lot more interest if he was around 4k, four and a half K Henry's played a pretty decent role for new England lately, but he still is about a 50% snap share player. And he's still splitting time with John U Smith. 
I think the role that John is playing has been a huge disappointment, but he's still extremely cheap. So there's some builds I could see John as well. Uzoma is a guy that kind of perplexes me a little bit at nearly 30% ownership, 3,500. I honestly think I might rather just take a shot on Janu than play Uzoma that heavily owned. But how do you view the position outside Waller? It's really tricky. Janu. Okay, so we have six tight ends that we're choosing between. I, I legitimately don't see anything. I was I was just kind of double-checking, like, Drew Sample, like, that, that can't be real. Um, I know CJ Uzoma was dinged up coming into Week 18 with his hip, but he's still fine. I don't care. I'm not going to play him at 3,500 at 30% roster ship. Janu Smith feels thin even. It might be one of those things where you just play four tight ends on this slate. Like Foster Moreau, we saw him have the big play uh, in that in the beginning of that Charger game, but he's just not going to be on the field enough with Darren Waller's existence. The only thing I can really say about playing him or Johnny Smith is it just gives you access to a completely different build where you could get in one more stud wide receiver. I just always find that difficult when you're taking almost a zero in your lineup. Like you still need to get something out of that because it's going to be hard to believe that you won't have some mid-range wide receiver value to land on in tournaments and large field tournaments. You could have a slate where you just have all three, you know, T Higgins, Chamar, Chase, Tyler Boyd, go nuts and step on digs. And that's your four guys that you need to have. But price is not that uh, prohibitive to just get to Darren Waller and a bunch of lineups. Uh, Dawson Knox, I think I prefer over Azoma. So I think we're in lockstep on that. Same. I think Knox is, will be the player I have the most like, overweight approach to and I don't think it's going to be Knox in most of my lineups but I think I'll be over the field on him because he's at a similar price point to Waller so you're probably building similar lineups overall I think with a touchdown in just moderate production he could outscore just a, a moderate Waller game but man it's it's really hard just not to get to Waller I think Waller's still probably under owned at 54 percent all right Carlos Manzo asking the important questions how much you bench and deadlift my friend squat bench and deadlift Oh, not that much, man. Oh, I just deadlifted 350 yesterday. I'm feeling all buff. I'm feeling yeah. all buff. My back hurts, though, because, you know, you just... You're, you're you looking good, man. Cross grip. Thank you so much. I've been trying. New Year's resolution. Thank you. Uh, let's keep it rolling. Sunday slate, tight end, ready to rock. Travis Kelsey, very popular. Rob Gronkowski, very popular. George Kittle, very popular. I mean, we have a stack. Dallas Goddard, Dalton Schultz. We have Pat Fryermuth from the Fryer. Pat Fryermuth. We have so many guys to be playing a tight end on the Sunday slate. Can we transfer some of them to the Saturday slate? I actually kind of like the, the difference because we have two different puzzles in back-to-back days. And I, I like the, the different challenges for each of these slates. But ultimately, this one is awesome for tight ends. We have so many good ones on Sunday. Yeah, like, we have so many good ones. I, I, I didn't know if you were just done with that. I got thrown I, off. I was... Super- yeah, I was ahead. pausing. I see the chat. It's ridiculous too. <laughs> I love it so much. What a, what a beautiful nickname. If you're going to get called something, you might as well be called that. My, my goodness. I love the chat. <laughs> you guys are sick bastards. All right. Travis Kelsey. I don't have any tattoos. I don't have a single tattoo. <laughs> Matt has two tattoo sleeves. You just, you just, you're hiding it. That's why you wear the sweatshirt every day. No, we I'm wearing know. the sweatshirt because I don't have a thermostat in my apartment. So I can't oh. control the heat. And I have to turn off my space heater because it makes a lot of noise. I have a solution for you. Move? Move. There it is. (laughs) You got it right, right off the bat. You didn't, you stole my bit. This is the first time I've had this conversation. (laughs) All right. 
one lineup to rule them all, one lineup to find them. You have to pick one tight end. You can't play two. What are we doing here at the top end? Who is your favorite guy at their current ownership? George Kittle. Mine too. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with us today? We're playing all the we're playing all the freaking Mike Evans and we're playing all the freaking George Kittle. So you get a little bit of a price break with George you Kittle. Do. That's that's the biggest thing for me is I think you can build slightly more balanced lineups, slightly top heavier lineups. With Jimmy Garoppolo back under center, Kittle's volume came back up. And I think a lot of people are still going to be hesitant knowing the Trey Lance games really depressed his role. Garoppolo, it's a completely different story. Kittle's had his blow-up games with Garoppolo, seven targets in the last game. And again, box score wasn't pretty, but the volume is what we like. And if they're down in this game, they should be using Kittle quite a bit. Kelsey, he's just been down a little bit compared to what we've seen in previous years. He'll be splitting with Tyreek. Now, if Tyreek were to miss this game or be limited, I'd have a lot more interest in Kelsey. But he's also coming in with a little more ownership. And Gronk at 29%, I think that is a little under-projected, in my opinion. I wouldn't be surprised to see Gronk as the most owned tight on the, on the slate. Gronk's going to have all the opportunity, but ultimately, if he comes in above 30%, we have him at 29 right now. That's why I'll be taking a stand with Kittle. I think Kittle has the same upside is those other two players, but he's just coming with the least ownership right now. An evolving situation, but right now it's tentatively Kittle. Bye, RSC. Bye. Have a great day. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. All right. That's that's for me, George Kittle. I'm just in love. Dallas Goddard, also in love. I think that that might be my two tight ends set up there. 5,800, You're getting two massive workloads there. Again, Dallas Goddard. I'm not high on Jalen Hurts. I'm with you. But Dallas Goddard, coming back here. I'm ready to rock with that dude. I am pretty obsessed rostering both of him and Kittle on this slate. How about you? I like Goddard too, especially with the projected game script they should be having. The issues with Goddard on a week-to-week basis are the run heaviness of the offense. So the target share is fantastic for Goddard. It's just the raw pass attempts usually aren't there. If this plays to the spread, the pass attempts should be there for Goddard. And we know almost all the targets funneled between him and Devontae Smith with a handful going to the ancillary pass catchers. And Goddard also brings you to a slightly different roster construction. He's 4,400 on DraftKings, opposed to, you know, at minimum 5,800 for one of the big three tight ends and likely more than that if you roster Gronk or Kelsey. So I like the build that Goddard gets you. I think he's a safer play than Fryermuth. Fryermuth has a great target share, but he's had very little upside. I believe he hasn't been over 60 receiving yards in any game this year. So he re- he's very reliant on touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And you're in a spot where they have the lowest implied team total on the slate. Schultz is kind of interesting in that price range. He worries me a little bit with Blake Jarwin coming back. And it's not that I think Jarwin's going to play a large role. But even if Jarwin plays a handful of snaps, runs a handful of routes, it's not like we can really bank on Schultz being super efficient and overcoming some of the losses in volume. So I do think that's impactful and maybe will be understated this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he got activated. He got right back in the mix immediately there. Two targets, one reception. Doesn't look like much, but that is definitely something that it could put a cap on Dalton Schultz. And you do not want a cap on the tight end position. There are so many good options. I find it hard to believe that we won't have one uh, 42 and above that goes off. So I'm not even going to bring up anybody sub 4,200. If you want to try to make Cameron Braid a thing, best of luck to you. Ain't going to be me at 2,800 there for him. Uh, anything else for you at tight end here whatsoever? No, nah, Brayton needs a, tight, a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're doing with any of these guys. Blake Bell, Blake Jarwin. We know it, what we're kind of getting into with them. Yeah, the thing is when you punt at tight end, you're basically hoping that, one, there's not a lot of studs in the slate and that they just have middling games. So then it's 
the salary that really gets you to a better roster construction. But we have three elite tight ends on this slate. So what are the chances that Kelsey, Gronk, and Kill fail? And then we have a couple tight ends that have maybe not quite the same ceiling, but a pretty darn close ceiling. Dalton Schultz and Goddard, if all these tight ends fail, then maybe a touchdown from Brake gets you there. But if one of them has a ceiling game and Brate scores, it's still probably not enough. All right, my friend. We have reached the top stacks portion of the program. Everybody smash the like button. Back at Jeffski and I roll into the two-man booth on the fly. You know, I feel pretty good about the work that we've done here. We've got Mike Lawrence there. Awesome, yo. Behind the, the virtual glass helping out, doing great work, helping us out here as well. So smash that like button for those two, if not for me, because, you know, I'm generally all over the place. But here we go. Top stacks here for Saturday. Ready to chat, ready to go. You got to pick one. Who are you picking here? Can I do either slate? You can do either slate. Sunday's much more intriguing. So we're going to skip Saturday. Play Burrow, play Josh Allen. Those two, I think, are going to be kind of you the, know where the I'm go going. to where we're going with that. But just give me the Dallas pitch. Go that's, ahead. That's, that's it. It's Dallas. Give me the Dallas pitch. Give it to me. Well, well for one, it's coming in under owned compared to Kansas City and Tampa yep. Bay. The implied team total is not all that different. Again, the other two teams, Tampa Bay and Kansas City, are massive favorites. Dallas is only a three-point favorite, but that game environment is so much better with the 51-point total, which is making up a lot of that gap. And then you still have the premier stacking options. I know people love Tyreek. They love Kelsey. They love Evans. With Dallas, you can still get to Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb. And maybe even the Gallup injury condenses the target share for those two players. We haven't seen as many ceiling games, but we still have seen them which leads me to Dallas a lot on the Sunday slate. Looks like Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's got a massive projection as he should here in this spot. 7,300 Tom Brady. We both like 7,200 as well. Just sitting right below him here. I think they make sense. I'm probably going to end up being lower on Mahomes uh, just because of how much that ownership can get steamed with a lot of casuals. And obviously Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs just flipped the switch, but I'm going to go to the other side of that game here for Dallas for my favorite top stack, Jimmy Garoppolo along with George Kittle, Debo Samuel, uh, Jawan Jennings, Brandon Ayuk. There's a lot of upside here from the San Francisco team, a 24 total that we're looking at. That is pretty large here as a dog on the road, but I'm looking at Jimmy Garoppolo at 5,300. Just gives you a completely different roster construction. Allows for you to get up to, if you want to combine another tight end alongside George Kittle, whether that's Kelsey Rob Gronkowski, Goddard, uh, Goddard being my favorite of the grouping, and then getting to the Mike Evans side um, for the wide receiver spots where I can pay up for a number of these guys. I just think it gives a really nice build. We'll see where that roster ship comes in closer to Sunday here, but Jimmy G, sub 12%. That is intriguing to me in a must-win game. Every game's a must-win game. Welcome to the playoffs, everybody. Matt Kajewski, let's get ourselves out of here. Any final words for the people? Thank you guys for watching. Can't believe we we've come this far full 18 weeks more. If you consider preseason, yeah. we finally made it to the playoffs. So thank you guys for watching. It's a pleasure to do this for you all. He's Matt Kajewski. He's tolerated me for at least 24 weeks of football. I'm Eric Lindquist. We'll get ourselves out of here. Have a great day. Check out all our NBA content coming up later.